Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Reproducer. Hello, I'm Mark Jeeves. And I'm Jenny Nelson. And this is the Reproducer Podcast, which aims to answer this question. What does a radio producer actually do? It is the trickiest of questions. Our guest for this episode has a career spanning both commercial radio and BBC, working with talent like Pete Tong, Annie Mack, Greg James and Chris Moyles at Radio 1, before joining Chris to go to his current breakfast show at Radio X, a show of which she is the exec producer. We are delighted to welcome Pippa Taylor. He goes, how do you fancy coming over to Radio X? launching me back into radio and just having fun the buck stops with you so what i've realized is um over the years is that your attitude will filter down to the people who work with you and on your team so you kind of set the pace you set the standard let your dj be themselves let them grow let them if they have an idea really try and roll with it because they can hear it in their head it's going to work on air We had a lovely long chat with Pippa about her life in radio, including her thoughts on talent management, her advice for aspiring producers, how she got into it in the first place, creating a good team atmosphere. And we will also hear about a show stunt that didn't go according to plan. But we started by asking Pippa why she chose radio as the career for her. Well, I'm sure everyone's got different answers for this. They have. Uh, But for me, it was... It was falling in love with a particular radio station. So some people are just nerds from, you know, from way back when, like Chris. <laughs> uh, but for me, uh, I actually fell in love with two particular radio shows. This sounds very cliche. The main one was Pete Tong's Essential Selection on Radio 1. I was hugely into dance music. I was doing some DJing. And I remember that Pete Tong's Essential Selection was our community. It was our appointment to listen every Friday night, 7 till 9, and we'd all be texting each other the new tunes that you have got out and we've just lived for it. And then we'd be like, oh, brilliant. And then we'd you'd go out and find them, uh, you know, and play them in DJ sets or we'd go to, you know, festivals or gigs and we'd hear them play. So it, it was a real big community moment was that Pete Tong's Essential Selection. But then genuinely, <laughs> this sounds really cheesy, the Chris Moyle show on Radio 1, uh, Radio 1 was one of the only really clear signals I could get in my mini metro. So that's the main reason I started listening because I couldn't get anything else <laughs> apart from local 210 FM, Kestrel, that's why I used to grow up in Basingstoke. Uh, I remember Kiss had like a dodgy signal. The cool kids did listen to Kiss. You know, you saw those little Kiss stickers on the cards. But Radio 1, clear as a bell, and I loved it. And then listening to Chris with his real, like I'd never heard anything like him before. It, he was kind of, it, shock jock is a terrible, he hates that. 
term, but he really was. He was quite shocking. It, I remember the first time he was um, talking to a caller and he hung up on them because he got bored with them. And I was like, I'd never heard a DJ hang up. It was so rude. He hung up. I, was like, I can't believe he's just called up about hung up on them. And then I couldn't wait to hear what happened next. And uh, it was that, that community feel of you you laugh, it lifts your spirits, plays the music you want to hear. Um, and I loved it. And I remember thinking, I want to work specifically for Radio 1 was my first aim. Right. I want to work there. That's where I want to work. And did you just go straight into Radio 1 or, or what was your break? Oh, no, Mark. Oh, no. Because <laughs> it sounds like, you know, that's it, I'm going. I'm off, bye. <laughs> no, no, no. A very convoluted route. I excelled in three subjects. <laughs> I was art, music and PE at school. They were like not, not overly academic ones, but they were <laughs> they were my A stars. And then I went down sort of art and media studies and design and technology at college. I'll nutshell this. Don't worry, Mark. <laughs> uh, and then I decided I want to go down a sporty route. So I actually got my degree in a... Uh, the science of management of exercise and health because you just want to do something at uni that's going to get you through and that you enjoy. I hadn't got onto radio at this stage. I just knew that I loved Radio 1, but I hadn't quite married up the two yet. I was still like flapping around. Uh, I came out of uni. I worked at Chelsea Football Club and I followed the, that route for a bit. And I met some brilliant people, one of who's my closest friends now, so it all ties in. And then it was Emma who left Chelsea Football Club to start working for the BBC and she said Pips you must come and work here you know we've we've done our flapping around now <laughs> she goes come and join me at BBC and like let's get into this and she had TV on the brain and by then I was like I was ready to like start looking into different avenues so I knew that I wanted to get to Radio 1 so I decided to work at the BBC in any department I could get into and that was um <laughs> information policy and compliance and data protection at media center <laughs> oh they're crazy that lot oh no they're wild um yeah. and to be fair i really enjoy my team was great sometimes the team you work with is just as good as just the job itself so i worked two and a half years there my boss knew the boss of Radio 1, Andy Parfit, at the time. And uh, I asked him to, because they're very good at BBC about helping you go down pathways. He made contact with Andy, put him in contact with his PA, Limla, and we just started a conversation. I mean, you, you can't conjure up jobs for people, but you can start making connections. Uh, and then she'd let me know if there were jobs coming up. So I, I applied for a couple through the BBC Jobs website, got turned away because I knew I was I didn't really have much radio experience. But in this time, I taught myself to edit and I had a really good knowledge of dance music. And they were my two kind of things that I could grab onto. And then eventually, when I was at my wits end at Media Centre, and I think I, I might have kicked the photocopier once gently because <laughs> I was so frustrated I couldn't get into Radio 1. Um there were a new set of job positions going called unit assistants at Radio 1. And I thought, I've got to get one of these five. They were the lowest of the low. I was in like my mid to late 20s. I didn't care what it was. I just wanted to get in there. And I went for an interview. I thought I did really well. It's all about you've got to just be good on the phone and you've got to have a good common sense and just be a people person. So you, you didn't have to have really core skills at that point. And even then... They called me to say I hadn't got one of the jobs, and I was living. <laughs> that poor photocopier got his head kicked in. That way, didn't it? And I actually asked if I could have some feedback from a lady there. I think she's still there. Yeah, Nicola Detulli. I said, "Can I please have some feedback, Nicola? I'd love to know what I could have done better." And she 
said to me, I'm so sorry you didn't get one of those five positions, but, and I went, oh, she goes, it just so happens that the person we offered the fifth position to has taken a job somewhere else and you were number six on the list. Would you like to take it? Amazing. Well done. I was on the ceiling. I was so, so happy. Excellent. And that was when my journey began. Okay. And then uh, in in a nutshell. Yeah. Sorry, Mark. I talk a lot. Just your your, your production gigs then so far, what uh, from when you got in, I mean, that that wasn't a production gig. I get that, but yeah. yeah. What are you? How? What have you been your production job so far? Uh, I I started. So I started doing post, <laughs> sorting out posts, but I didn't care because I was putting posts in Zane Lowe and Pete Tong and Joe Wiley and Colin and Edith's post box. I didn't care. I uh, just have to grab those bits with both hands, don't you? I did post on the side for quite a while, a good couple of years, whilst I progressed in production because I had no one else to do it. I ordered stationery. I got CDs from the CD library. Remember those? And ripped them in for people. And then um, quite soon, within the first few weeks, um, production needed people to cover where some of these unit assistants were on holiday. And I was always, I'd made myself available. I said, I can edit. I can answer phones. I can make teas. I can do notes, you know. So if you need me, I'm here. And I think just making yourself available really helps when just a moment comes up and they're like, oh, we need help. So Chris Moyles was the first show that I started answering phones for. Absolutely terrifying, by the way. I, it was terrifying. Chris was peak Chris Moyles at that time, and his production team were really kind of like uh, overwhelming and everything had to be done yesterday. Uh, and that was a little baptism of fire. But at the same time, I was doing the same with the other production crews at Radio 1. So with Pete Tong's people, I'd obviously started making inroads there if you need me to help. And uh, yeah, so it started from there. I started doing like track listings, which you had to type out manually for online. And then I, I became an actual production unit assistant eventually, and they got someone else in to come and do the post. Uh, and then it just worked up from there. I, I was a unit assistant for quite a while. I'm slower than everyone else. My personality is quite ooh, a bit ditzy, a bit scatty. And it took a while for me to hone that into an assertive producer that people take seriously. So I was slower than everyone else. Everyone leapfrogged me. They got assistant producer positions. Took me years to get an assistant producer position. But once I'd got there, then it all escalated after that. I worked on every single show on the Radio On Network. I did like overnight shifts. Worked on Fabio Groove and Annie Nightingale. And I got to Pete Tong as well. And then, yeah, eventually I got a, a producer position after... Eight interviews, not not for the same position, like eight separate producer interviews. <laughs> uh, and then eventually when I got it, I was so confident. You, you end up, instead of answering questions in an interview where you're saying, is this the right answer? Is this what you're looking for? You end up going, this is the right answer. And I know it is because I've been here longer than you. Brilliant. <laughs> and as a result, my first producer job was Greg James Drive Time. Wow. So I was kind of straight in there yeah. and, uh, yeah, it all just, you know, went on from there. And so then you came over to Global with Chris when he launched his Radio X show. So how so how long have you been the exec producer of his show on Radio X? Do you know, Jenny, it has gone so quickly. Uh, it only feels like yesterday I was tearfully writing my resignation to Radio 1 because I loved it there so much, but I knew it was time to move on. I'd been there sort of eight and a half, nine years. And, you know, I'd, I'd produced Greg for years and 
we'd we'd got our gold Sony award. Um, I, I then produced Annie and Pete Tong, and I was like, yeah. And that then this this came up with Chris. We'd kept a bit of contact. Um, and Chris moved to LA for three years and we kept just a bit in contact, you know, birthdays, Christmases, kind of sent messages. And then one day um, uh, he messaged asking if I'd like to meet him for breakfast. And I remember going, hmm, okay, because <laughs> we didn't have that sort of, you know, relationship. I was like, there's a reason for this. And already I was nervous because I thought, I don't want to leave Radio 1, whatever it is, I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to leave. And he knew it, but his manager had said, well, let's meet anyway. Let's have a chat. And he said, you don't have to make a decision, but he goes, how do you fancy coming over to Radio X, launching me back into radio and just having fun? No pressure, no no, no uh, uh, worries about climbing that not slippery pole as such, but let's just have fun with radio. We both love it and let's just go and, and do our thing with it. And it was quite inspirational. <laughs> I, was, I remember thinking, okay, now my head's been turned much more than I thought. And it took a while of thinking about it. And then I remember just something was saying, you just need to do it. You just need to do it. And there was someone who then gave me the final push. And I've mentioned it before. That was Andy Parfit, who used to be the controller of Radio 1. The most inspirational man I've met so far in life. He is wonderful. And um, taking a next move or an exciting step, or it's scary you don't always want to do it, but he always says, you must always write the next chapter. He goes, nothing bad comes from writing the next chapter. Even if you move on to another one after that, because you're still pushing yourself forward and creating new experiences and writing more life. He goes, so he basically said, just go, go and do it, doing something different, step out there. And I did. And that was nearly eight years ago. <laughs> so that wow. That was a very long-winded way of getting no, down to no. your question. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was brilliant. And what I was I what I really want to know is, but I know the answer is mm. there's no such thing as a typical day. Yeah. But can you talk us through roughly what if we can call it a typical day, mm. like working on Chris Moll's show, what does that involve? Yeah, okay. Um well it's early. <laughs> so I get up at half four. Uh then, uh, yeah, I kind of arrive at about sort of five, quarter past five, because uh, I live nearby. Um, I'm first one in to just kind of have a little look at news, what's going on, if anything huge has happened, just kind of get your head around the day. Uh, set out the clocks for Chris. Chris comes in, Chris and Dom, about 6.15, and we have a felt it was better than Chris used to be. I think sometimes it was after the opening jingle had started. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, we talk through what's going to happen. We do the show. In fact, as you all know, the show shows themselves once they're planned. They kind of run themselves uh, yeah. unless something unexpected happens or if you're working on a, a live news show, you know, LBC, et cetera. You know, it's, you have to be a little bit more on it. So we have our, we have our show more or less laid out. Uh, and then it always goes off in different directions. But that's, that's the way that our show goes. Uh so let's nutshell it so we don't go too much into the show. Itself. So wait, so so sorry, do you plan, because I'm fascinated by, for a music station, yeah. the first 45 minutes of your show yeah. is speech. Yes. And it's, but it's, but it's, it goes by so quickly. Yeah. Like, so you don't think, Sometimes. hang on a minute, when are they playing the record? Okay. But like, <laughs> so do you guys plan like the day before or does Chris have an idea in his head of like, this is, um, I know where I want to get to. Yeah. So the show so the show's planned the day before, yeah, yeah, and so or the week before, whatever. So this is what how the day goes 
because after the show, that's when you plan the next day show, the rest of the week, the following week, and then you look at the big projects coming up in the next day year. So we've got about three or four, and it's just keeping those going. But you're right, yes, we we always have a show plan. Would you believe? Um, (laughs) The first 45 minutes is something Chris has just honed by himself. We tried when we first started, let's get a record away in the first hour. Let's, But Chris is, it's who Chris is. And that's why he's there. And um, Chris will not mould himself to to suit someone else. So I think it's the and you know we, there we, there are certain ways that we, we move around and we do get, play more music than he used to. But that first half an hour, he just likes meandering, seeing where it goes. That's that is up to Chris. He will start the conversation. We might have a few bits and bobs, or, you know, things and clips that he could play around with his backup plan but that first half hour is Chris's and then the bit after seven o'clock that's kind of tidying up what we've talked about <laughs> and, then, and then we actually start the, the more bits of the show after the 7.20 ad so we get into Dom's letters and then you know the biggest stuff happens at the eight o'clock and then the silly silly games are in the nine and uh yeah it's that uh, but we do have a plan would you believe uh and then yeah after we have a quick show meeting with Chris and Dom after we go through guests that have the guest uh, offers that have come in we talk about that yeah the following day me and James are a producer senior producer of the show James we sit down and we have a good chat about what we both need to do for the rest of the day and then we yeah we plan out yeah like I said the rest of the week then the following week uh and then looking at these big things coming up so we've got a big tour coming up later on this year uh and yeah it's keeping everything spinning I mean one one of the things as a listener like the team just sounds and feels so cohesive. Like you guys really seem like you all know each other inside out, that there's a genuine warmth. How and where does the breakfast team sit within the rest of the Radio X team? I mean, I know that it's quite a small team anyway, so I'm assuming. Yeah. You're not an island, yeah, yeah. I'm assuming. It's a, yeah, it's another good question. <laughs> um, it is, it's always been a bit of a thing for us to try and not be an island because at Radio 1, the breakfast show was definitely an island. They were an entity all unto themselves. And I think, um, especially at Radio X, we've realised we have strength in numbers when we all support each other. We come as a team, as a, as a clan, Radio X. So um, we we are really close-knit. We have each other's backs. There's a lot of openness that happens on air and we have to know where each other's boundaries are. You know, they, they occasionally get crossed, I don't like you, but as we've gotten older, we've, we've really synced up and we've finally got a team where we're really, you know, we, we get each other and we respect it. And there's the odd bit of friction, but mostly we actually really enjoy spending time with each other, you know, which is weird. We never thought we'd get to that stage. But yeah, with the rest of the... um the station so uh or toby i mean toby's now my husband <laughs> so toby toby started off as the only breakfast dj he came over from capital i remember thinking who's this young whippersnapper toby tarrant coming over just because he's chris tarrant's son why are we getting him i was like i was like who's he um and then yeah gradually so toby got integrated into our show and now he's moved to the tent so now we are very much integrated because mine and Toby's story was obviously played out 
in, in front of our whole audience, you know, which is odd, but we, we're very open as well. So all of the listeners knew exactly what was happening all the time. Wow. I think we announced we were together on one of our podcasts, which is a podcast we do for charity. Uh, and then, yeah, so Radio X work hard, yes, of get, getting us all together as um, a team. So, for example, Johnny and Johnny Vaughan and Chris, these two big Radio 1 giants over the years, you know, there were always rivalry there for no apparent reason, I've realised. It wasn't a huge... It's this weird kind of like 90s <laughs> DJ rivalry. I don't know where. Maybe one of them said a small something once and the other one took offence to it. And then you never get a chance to resolve it. I don't know. I don't know. It's, I'm sure they, they know. but And they realised that when they actually found each other they get on really well and they you know they want each other to do well and Johnny will regularly text into the show when he likes a link to say to Chris oh, I really enjoyed that that was really good I really laughed at that and Chris does the same and it's um it's a really nice community atmosphere at Radio X uh because we're we're smaller and when you're smaller comes that real camaraderie where you're trying to push yourselves forward and, and grow together um, and you celebrate even the smallest victories, the smallest rise in rage are. We're all kind of patting each other on the back and going out for drinks. And, you know, it's a lovely, a lovely community. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. Reproducer. So this is the main question, Pippa. What does a producer do? <laughs> if we were to Britain, so not specific to a show, like how would you yeah. describe the job of a radio producer to someone who'd never known? Okay, well, now this is this is an anno- annoyingly loose answer. It does vary from show to show and depending what presenter you've got. Uh, because I've produced now lots of different radio shows and they're all very different. So some, for example, I used to produce the Radio 1 chart show back in the day where it is very much to do with timings and getting everything, you know, these really tight little montages and getting everything, you know, well, you've got eight seconds here and then you've got to do this because we've got to hit number one at this specific time. Uh, So you've got some shows which are really, really tight and really highly produced like that. Uh, Then you've got uh, other shows, say, other, you know, musicy ones like uh, Annie Mac, very much driven by the DJs and they choose the music. So a music producer will spend their time uh, lyric checking to check there's no bad language, um, making things sound slick. And again, montages, music montages, sweepers, just everything that makes it sound slick, arranging interviews, editing. So it's lo- loads and loads of editing for these big music shows. And then you get these content-driven ones like 
Chris's show. And it is a different ball game altogether because producing a zoo format show, especially a content driven one, you can't have enough content ideas, keeping up with news stories, uh, booking guests, getting these um, talk about you want your, your ultimate aim, as you all know, is to drive rage you want your reach to go up you want to get more people that is what we're there for you want as many people as possible listening to you and then staying with you so our whole job is trying to keep your presenter happy keep them up there and motivated and happy and and putting out their best uh presenting and you want to give engaging contents you want to book the best guests you're trying to always find fun ways of communicating things doing a quiz doing features so it's um it's there's so much to this i'd say okay let me try and nutshell it planning 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 okay lots of it lots of booking looking ahead getting things sorted to stop stress vibe keeping the vibe alive in the the studio keeping everyone happy especially in my position it's between chris and my boss and then the big bosses at radio x uh, global james rear and actually keeping everyone kind of being that medium where you're keeping everyone happy is keeping the right side of Ofcom. So you don't want to you don't want to be taken off air. You don't want your presenter to say something that's going to ruin his career if he's going going down somewhere he shouldn't accidentally. It's uh yeah, and it's a lot of troubleshooting. And then especially in commercial radio, it's getting it's trying to hook in these companies so that you can get commercial activity promotions to keep them on board so they want to come back and spend more money with you. And it's uh, I, I, this isn't a nutshell at all, Jenny. This is not a nutshell. Um <laughs> But but the, the the final one as well is to expect the unexpected. So be ready, ready for when something happens which you're not expecting. Then you just have to run with it. Um, and if you've done your planning, you've got the headspace to deal with the unexpected. Does that make sense? <laughs> it does. It does. But I also think like one thing that strikes me about what you do so well is that it's attitude. Like you're. I remember when I was at Classic. Um, like on the same floor as Radio X and I was doing breakfast and I was like just you know I was like four or five in the morning I hadn't really woken up I couldn't really talk yet <laughs> and you were just already on it smiley Annoying. happy to no but happy to chat about like I, I was just so impressed at, and I'm sure like that's what you have to do every day throughout the show is just keeping that attitude and making sure you're like open to whatever happens and you know buoying other people up if they need a bit of a lift that's where you come in as well which is not an easy thing to do every single day no so you're so right jenny it's that it's the kind of the buck stops with you so what i've realized is um over the years is that your attitude will filter down to the people who work with you and on your team so you kind of set the pace you set the standard so i, I remember this from working back at uh radio one and I won't name names because obviously I loved everyone there. But you can have some really, really stressy producers, like really stressy, who aren't backwards at, at uh, shouting at people or getting annoyed and, you know, can be a little bit belittling because they need it done now. And it just, it puts this whole weird pressure on the whole team beneath you and you're all affected by it and you're all stressed out and you're all a bit anxious and you're like, oh, crumbs. And you realise that that is because it's been filtered down. And I've realised that I as I've, uh, gone upwards in radio is that you you set that bar it doesn't have to be like that it's radio you know there are things you need like that but very rarely is it worth really getting angry at people about 
any people who work with you if you choose carefully they they've got a good work ethic they know what's needed they want to progress themselves so they will perform to the best of their ability but you rarely need to be that stressy person um and it does help that i i am a I'm a naturally quite buoyant person in the morning. I, don't get me wrong. I, I'm a night owl if I had the choice. But right. in the morning, once I'm up, I'm up. I'm like, here we, here we are. Morning. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it can be a little bit annoying, but uh, you, you kind of you get pumped up on adrenaline, don't you? Doing live radio, and then by the time you're on, you, you know, that's it. You're flying. So. <laughs> Thank you. I I don't know what you're talking about, people. I've never met any stressy radio producers in my life. <laughs> Clearly, clearly you're just making that up um i'm interested in the transition from radio one to commercial radio because there are some big differences you play commercials you already mentioned you know having to work on commercial content what did you find was the biggest difference going from radio one to us commercials oh yes to the commercial sector the dark side yes well (laughs) hilariously one thing chris really struggled with was with the ad breaks because Radio One had already struggled getting him to play enough music. Now you've got like three minute ad breaks. You've got to also get away, and you're really kind of you're tying him down time wise. So um, that He's was on commercial radio before, though, because I a long time ago. I he had, was on commercial but it, he it was a long time. I think he'd been at Radio One for I don't know fifteen years in between. Yeah, so yeah. just forgotten it all. Just forgotten it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, but I'd never worked in commercials, so but. I think the biggest one, though, Mark, is um, everything is driven by radars. Like yeah. at Radio One, radars. I think it took a good few years for me to even register them. They they were a non from what from my memory anyway. I'm sure some sort of the bosses would uh, disagree, but they they came and they went. They were you know three monthly figures that came out, and you're aware of them, but you were just getting on with your job and. I think at Radio One, as long as long as you were fulfilling your remit from the trust to be, you know, to hit young audiences and keep the content young and keep yourself engaging and all of that, um, the radars they didn't really seem to they, they they didn't make as much of an impact um, when they went up. Everyone celebrated when they went down. We ignored them, but at commercial radio, it is everything. And I realise now because it drives commercial activity you know you get company people want to spend money with you the bigger you are so radars were huge so we have this big company meeting as you know (laughs) and it's it's this really big like i mean it's great fun don't get me wrong but it's it's this huge big radar presentation quarterly where we all get together and we all look quite it used to be very very in depth but it's a little bit more top line now and then stations individually will then go through them in depth and then even more in depth if you'd like to which sometimes we have with our boss matt deverson that he loves a graph so he's fine with it uh as does chris moyles who's very interested in tiny tiny uh analytics but yeah that that's one thing i really noticed everything is really it's a big deal ray charles and it was quite uh, obviously you understand that but yeah that that was the biggest difference the other thing I'd be interested in, because you have worked with some really big names, you've mentioned them, you, you know, from Greg James to now Chris Moyles. What's your what's your top talent management tips that you are prepared to tell us? <laughs> Obviously, you don't shout at people because yeah. you've already said that, so you know. Not unless you have to. Uh, ah, okay. I think I think it's uh, you never have to never have to exert. What's the word? You know, there's that um, phrase about not commanding respect, earning it. I think, yeah. especially with my personality 
um, you have to really pick your battles of when to push forward and when to stand your ground. As a consequence for that, it means when you do stand your ground, you get hurt, which is lovely. So if you throw your weight around all the time, you're just known for being someone who throws their weight around. But um, when you pick your moment, which I have to because that's in my nature to not go for it each time, it makes a difference. So every now and again, I've had to stand my ground and even push forward a little bit. And it's never pleasant. And I don't think anyone likes it because it always creates a bit of an atmosphere that you don't want to, but it has an impact. So I'd say definitely pick your battles with any presenter. Um, You have to mould yourself around who they are and what their strengths are. So something that would work with, say, Greg would definitely not work for someone like Chris. So with Chris, for example, he is who he is and you have to let him be who he is. I have no desire to tell him what to say or how to say it. I wouldn't say a lot of the things that he says, but that's that would make you know if I got Chris to be as safe as me, then he'd be rather a boring presenter. <laughs> um, so I think it's let your DJ be themselves, let them grow, let them if they have an idea, really try and roll with it because if they can hear it in their head, it's going to work on air. You just have to do your little weaves to make sure that it's in- engaging and you're ticking the right boxes for management as well. Um, yeah, and then other DJs just need looking after so for example Annie Nightingale she's a legend you know you just need to make sure that she's happy she's got the equipment she needs she's got the music she needs the temperature in the studio is the right temperature things like that you know just it varies very much depending on your presenter and what their strengths are and that's uh, yeah and I think that's uh, that's mm. a valid point you can't one size definitely does not fit all um <laughs> And then the other thing I was really interested in is the the scope of your work is massive. So you've done uh, great big OBs uh, as part of the breakfast show. You've done mm. big stunts. Um, have you got an example of anything that's made you particularly proud out of all of that or anything that was particularly difficult that you thought, you know, you can vent here, you're allowed? Oh, I mean, so... <laughs> do you know, I'm very lucky with... Um, James Robinson, who we recruited onto the show about six years ago. He is such a creative mind. I'm so lucky to have him because we are opposites together. I'm here, there and everywhere. And shall we do that? No, no, let's do this. No, shall we do that? No, hang on, let me think about it. And I'm very much like that. James is much more structured and straight lined. And between us, we complement each other. So when James came on board, um, he thinks big, which is lovely, thinks big stunts. And we're always trying to find things which are going to create those water cooler moments. We have to do our own marketing at Radio X because we're not this big. We're not like some of these really big brands. and Everyone knows who they are. Some people don't know Chris is on Radio X. People don't know what Radio X is, you know, still. And uh, we so without always having, say, the marketing, which you do sometimes if you're listening marketing team. <laughs> we have to create those moments that give ourselves viral moments or create talkability. You know, that's what we want. We just want to create ripples where people are, oh, did you hear what the Chris Moore show did? That's what we want all the time. And then sometimes we bite off more than we can chew. And one of them was we decided to surprise Chris. Every year we surprise him with a little birthday treat. We surprised Chris by doing a show completely in pitch black darkness. That was a surprise. Um, It was. Oh, honestly, at at the time, I think we'd seen like uh, Ant and Deck do their Dining in the Dark. And we thought it would 
create a really different experience because you can't see anything. All you can do is use your other senses to, and <laughs> it was in our heads, it was such a good idea. Um, and we thought we've never heard of it done before. And it was so complicated to sort. We tried different venues. We tried to get into a crypt because you can't have any natural light. Otherwise wow. it, it has to be pitch black. Your eyes can't get used to it. So we tried and then we couldn't get the crypt. And then eventually we decided to do this big convoluted plan where we'd blindfold Christmas birthday. We'd take him into a van. We'd actually drive loads around the block. We'd actually come back to Global without him knowing. We took him into a different route. We took ages. We put carpet down so it felt different under his feet. We put different smells in. We put we tried to make everything different when he came into the building. So he didn't know. We made sure everyone knew ahead of time that he was coming. So we didn't recognise noises. And we'd had this big setup with a company called Extreme where they blacked out our seventh floor boardroom into these two like studio areas. And we, oh my goodness, it was the most stressful broadcast we have ever done. <laughs> we, Chris was disorientated. Of course he was. And we rely on him to describe what's going on. But he's just, even Chris in the darkness <laughs> can't stop saying this is so weird. It's so dark. What's going on? Because me and James are trying to sort other stuff for features, but we've got these little, um, like, night vision goggles, which you can... Good Lord. Because <laughs> you can fake stuff in radio. You know that, don't you? <laughs> oh, no. no we, we never fake it, Mark. <laughs> we... That's one of the show things. Yeah, Unfortunately, yeah. we I wish we did, you know. <laughs> um, and we'd sorted Tom Grennan to come in and sing in the dark as a performance. And Tom's team had turned up and we're like, poor Tom, like he's <laughs> he was dressed to the nines of this amazing outfit, but no one was going to see it because <laughs> it, it was all live streamed in, in Night Vision. It was kind of... And then we've got these nudists in and we thought this would be really funny. Let's have some naturists in, but it's dark. So you can't actually see it apart from the odd match. <laughs> anyway, I, it was absolute chaos. <sighs> um, James, who never gets stressed about anything, uh, he admitted, he goes, oh, I feel quite stressed. I'm like, okay, James, we're halfway through now. We've just got another couple of months to go. And even though... It was one of the most stressful and we, we sweated all the way through it. We were so a heightened sense of, you know, panic all the time. We got through it. And as a, as an actual broadcast, it wasn't as smooth or slick as we'd want it to be. But some of the actual bits that we clipped from it, especially uh, visually, some of those clips went viral for us. So we actually managed to get a clip, which I think did 23 million, maybe even more Whoa. than that. I think it's coming up to 30. It's our most viral clip um, from the two natures coming in, just a, a nice kind of classy back view. But, you know, that that did well. And then <sighs> at the last minute, we got Ant and Deck to come in as well because they were in the buildings. We're like, right, this is really weird and it's going to sound bonkers, but can you come in and say hello to Chris's birthday? Um, oh, do you know, it makes me stressed even thinking about it. <laughs> We bit off too much. We bit off too much. We've learnt from it. I think we'd we'd like to perhaps one day do it again, but with Chris on board and with a lot more yeah. a lot yeah. more kind of planning. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, Pippa, but it'd be great to get your thoughts about um advice for the next generation. But firstly, you mentioned Andy Parfit. Are there any other people who've particularly influenced you in your career? It's so Andy was a big one. Uh, because Andy is an inspirational leader. And I remember when I first went to one of the big Radio 1 meetings when he was 
controller, he um, there's different types of leadership, but he was one of these inspirational, visionary leaders. And he rallied the troops, almost like at the beginning of a battle. He'd rally the troops and make you feel so proud to be there. You just wanted to please him. You're like, well, yeah, let's go out and make some great content, guys. And it sounds really cheesy, but he really made you so proud and so privileged and honoured to be there. We are Radio 1. This is what we do. And I remember I took that with me because you need to have different styles of management after that to put that into action. But to have that one person at the top going like, this is great. Look at who we are. Look at what we've got. Look at how lucky we are. Look at these tools we've got. We've got voices. We can reach people. We can do great content. And it really makes you so excited to do this radio job that we do you know and it's such an honor and a privilege and I think to keep reminding people of your in your team of that and to keep everyone happy and excited is really really important so I've taken that with me um Annie Mack was a big inspiration because she uh is one of the strongest females I've known who is just a kick-ass woman (laughs) who didn't let anyone tell her she couldn't do anything. And Annie went through the ranks. I think Annie was in a started off in production as an assistant producer. And then you just saw her kind of grow at Radio 1 and then, you know, gradually take over from Pete Tong and then be this number one dance music icon at Radio 1 and then her own business and Annie Mac Presents and, and then a writer and a mother. And she's just done all this amazing stuff. And... um I remember she wrote me a card on Life Radio 1 and it was such a lovely, you know, know your worth and you just go out there and, and get it. But it was it was a really lovely, especially as the, you know, the industry was male dominated then. It's changing now. You know, there's lots more women and uh, I'm not so like a staunch feminist or anything, but it is really lovely to see people get, get women getting that confidence that people like Annie Mack have kind of filtered down over the years. Um, so I think, yeah, those two were my main ones. Great. Thank you. And then on an advice level, yeah. <clears throat> looking back at your career, what advice would you have given yourself as you were like making your early steps into radio? And is that the same advice that you'd give an aspiring producer or are there any words of wisdom you'd want to share with those coming up through the ranks now? I've got loads of sort of hippie <laughs> words of wisdom, but I've always live by them so okay so here's a really cliche so stay true to yourself stay true to yourself you don't have to change to get there I when I saw how stressy some producers were I remember thinking I'm not that person I don't want to be that I think I left production for a bit to work in live events at Radio 1 for a bit because I remember thinking if that is what is needed to climb the ranks here that I don't want to do that and then I realised it takes time. You can get there with time and you don't have to change yet to be that person. You realise you don't have to be that stressy person to get good content and to get people to work for you, to get good results. You don't have to. Uh, so, yeah, and that leads me on to time. So don't stress about time. I speak to people from student radio all the time who are 18, 90 years old and they're like, oh, my goodness, this is my one chance. I need to get in now. I'm like, you don't, you can relax, you can live, you can get experiences, you can go traveling for a bit. You know, we are always going to be here. Radio is here to stay. We are always here. You can take a few years out. You've got your contacts, you know, you can make contacts and keep up with people and then go and do your own thing and then come back. 
uh, so I'd say just relax and enjoy. This is cheesy. Enjoy the journey um, because the journey is all part of it. So don't scrabble to get to that one role that you just want to get to, because if you enjoy your journey, it might take you off somewhere else anyway. Uh, you might, might end up doing something over there or something over there in radio or I don't know. It's not it's not a, a straight line. So it's good to have your goals, but then just enjoy it and 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 roll with it. Another one is don't burn your bridges. Be be humble and don't let power go to your head. If you get in a position where you can make a difference, just use it wisely because that person that you might boss around down there, <laughs> you know, at some at some point they will be higher than you or a different station or somewhere in it. It's that's not the only reason, obviously, because it's good to be a good person. But we are all in radio a lot of the time. It's quite fluid, you know, whether that's podcasts or, you know, commercial or BBC or, you know, wherever it is, we all kind of, <laughs> you know, end up seeing each other. Um, so, yeah, don't burn bridges. Keep contacts. Keep networking. You don't have to be really obvious about it, but just keep having coffees with people. Uh, if, if there's a position you want to get to, um, keep your name at the top of their list so you can be don't worry about being irritating it's fine in fact the people who are irritating the most are the ones who when you suddenly need someone you're like oh oh yeah actually i need someone now so you just have to make yourself available be at the right place at the right time do, do the mundane jobs think more and more sometimes especially in different generations um you know don't feel like you're too entitled too early on i don't know if that's uh if that sounds like too much of an old thing to say, but just be prepared to do those tasks because ultimately it means people will just call you back to do more and then you'll be around and your face is there and then you'll get jobs given to you from from that point on. Um, so, yeah, I've got loads. <laughs> loads. <laughs> loads, loads. <laughs> no, but it's so true. It's so true. Like, you know, there might be people today who would think that they were like above doing post sorting. Yeah. Everyone has to start somewhere. And, you, and so... Find know. the job in those... Find the joy, sorry, in those small things like it, uh, at Radio 1 I loved I saw how fast I could get the letters in the slots I mean that is that is unusually sad <laughs> but I was really excited about it it's you in this like legendary place and you know I, I didn't mind making people tease everyone has a bit of joy when they get a cup of tea and you've just given it to them um it, it's just ev everything is creating your story and your journey and things to talk about so yeah just d delight in those small things and yeah they they it all comes good it's been great to talk with you, Pippa. Thank you so much for taking your time to uh, to talk with us about this because it is fascinating. Um, we like to end on, uh, and I have to say, your your uh, the the show that was in the black was was a good good uh, example of the sort of thing we're after. But there must be more in this. You can either have an OMG or an FFS moment from your career. So, what would be your biggest OMG or FFS? We'll have one to finish with. Oh, well. Um... I think the time that we nearly killed Chris on air was one of my biggest OMG FFS moments. Ah, yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'd like to hear more about that. It's, this is prepare for the unexpected. Uh, we have this big, we had this huge winning wheel created in the studios, this huge contraption that one of James's friends had made. It was really big. It was really heavy. It had these little wooden pegs coming. It was a massive, great thing. Loads of sandbags in the bottom. It was just big, heavy construction. I don't know why it was quite so heavy. Um, and it had been in the in the studio for about a year. We'd always use it. And then one day, and we've got this on camera, 
Chris just said, right, let's spin the wheel. And he turned around to spin it. And the whole wheel just fell forward and smacked forward on the desk. And it like shattered bits of the desk, everything went flying everywhere. And James had temporarily looked away at the time that the wheel went forward. And he thought in that split second, We've killed, we've killed Chris. Chris is underneath the wheel. He's because he didn't realise Chris had for some reason he never walked away from the wheel. He spun it and then walked away. And uh, James like, oh God, Chris has crashed underneath this wheel. And he was running. And then like then we spotted Chris in the corner going, oh, what's happened? And we all like legged it round. This, this stupid wheel collapsed everywhere. Everything was broken. It was like absolute panic stations. Um, and we had a caller on air at the time in the middle of a competition and it was all there. Uh, so this was live, right? This was live. Yeah, it was lovely. Yeah. Of course. Oh yeah, it was live. <laughs> the mics never close. The mics never close. Anyway, so that um that created shall we say that was the content for the rest of the show. It was who who framed Chris or it was like who tried to kill Chris was the next thing that someone had rigged the wheel someone had moved the sandbags then it was this big investigation over the next few days who'd had access to the studio who looking at the cameras who tried to kill off Chris wheels reproducer there was a point in radio I think it was probably about 20 years ago when every studio had a spinning wheel of some sort Ours, we at one point we had the wheel of meat oh. because it was sponsored by a local butcher. So you had the big wheel, but it had you know you'd give away three pounds of bacon and stuff. What station was this on? Uh, Northants ninety six. <laughs> this is a small station. <laughs> but I mean, I'm, I'm envisaging actual bits of meat. Um, no. I, okay, right. You, you, you have to honour the verbal reality, as we used to say. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> but uh, yes, at no point did it try and kill me, so I was pleased about that. But I love how out of chaos, with a bit of organisation, a bit of wiggle room, they can take. <laughs> The incident, let's just say, and run with it, and then run with it, and then you know that's content for the next however many days or weeks. Absolutely. Well, as well as Pippa, there are many other great radio producers who we've spoken to in this series, and they've all got really fascinating stories to tell. Not quite so many trying to kill their own presenters, but we do have people like Adele Cross, the producer of the One Extra Breakfast Show with Nadia J. Uh, Or how about Mark Lockett, who talks about his work as exec producer of the Dave Berry Breakfast Show on Absolute Radio. And away from music radio, you can also hear Hussein Hosseini talking about his work as the morning's editor at Times Radio, or Catherine Anastasi, who's the deputy editor at TalkSport. You can find these and many other of the Reproducer podcasts on your preferred podcast platform. Just remember to follow or subscribe. Reproducer. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.